0: All right. Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. Good to be with you. What a great day, huh? All these brand new members, youthful members, a baptism. A uh, great day. By the way, we're going to ask after the service is over. We're going to ask all of you new members to come line up up here, right? And then, yeah, I know you have to come stand up here, and everybody is going to come down and shake your hand and welcome you uh, to Orangewood. So we're glad you're here. What a great day. Uh, as we begin Holy Week as well and having all of the great singers over here. That was incredible. I love that. And, uh, some of you, for some of you, this is a great day because you want an ongoing update of the Masters tournament taking place this morning. Uh, and some of you are just thinking about the Dodgeball Championships, all right? We're gonna talk about Jesus here this morning and, uh, and it's gonna be a great time. We're gonna take a break from our study in Ephesians, which we'll finish after Easter. Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, our Lord riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as the King, as He presents Himself. So before we look into that text, let's bow our heads and hearts and pray. Our great God, what a joy it is to be Your people! What a, what a privilege it is to be in the flow of what You have been doing for centuries and centuries on planet Earth. We thank You that You love us more than we understand. And as we today focus, Lord Jesus, on what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do, that you would be here in a powerful way. Take that which is familiar to us as we understand this text and read this text. But Lord, take that which is familiar and drive the meaning deeper and deeper into our hearts. And so we pray that you would be the teacher today. Be with us in a powerful way. For we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of Holy Week. Many traditions have already been uh, moving in the direction of moving toward Easter. And uh, they, they started on Ash Wednesday. They, you saw them at work. They had uh, the, the cross on their forehead and you said, what happened? And then you looked closer and you said, oh, I get it. But many in the broader body of Christ have been celebrating for a long time what we begin today, and that is an understanding of Jesus presenting himself as the king, moving next week toward Monday, Thursday, uh, Good Friday, and then Easter. And some Christians have said, well, what's more important? Is it is it Christmas or is it Easter? And the answer is... Both. It's a, they're, they're equally important because, because, in the incarnation, as we started at Christmas time, seeing the Son of God break into planet Earth, uh, he had to come as a real man, as a sinless man, as the second Adam. He had to come that way. And so the birth of Christ was absolutely important, and he was presented as as the child, as the Messiah, the future Messiah uh, to come. But now, uh, on, on, good, on, on uh, Palm Sunday, he is presenting himself as the king. And there's no mistaking, if you read the Gospels, many times in the Gospels, don't you see uh, Jesus has slips away so that not everybody makes a big deal about what he's doing. He heals somebody, and then he slips away. But now, no mistaking it, he is presenting himself as the king. Uh, and we have the great opportunity uh, of seeing that today. So we saw the birth of the king at Christmas, now the presentation. And I'm going to read to you from Mark's gospel, Mark 11. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, uh, and then the first point, and then I'm going to keep reading this whole chapter. You're not going to get out of here without looking at this whole chapter today. Here we go. Mark 11, verse 1. This is God's holy word. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem... And they went out and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there, sure enough, said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. I love this passage and you can, you really can picture this whole thing, can't you? You can then visualize this. The gospel writers lay it right out for us. And really what we see in this, these first 10 verses of Mark chapter 11 as Jesus presents himself is we see really, and as I unpack this, you'll see that he is, he is the true king, but he's not quite, as we'll see in a little bit, the desired king. He's the true king, but he's not the desired king that they're looking for at the time. Let's talk to that about that because this text is so familiar. And yet, uh, as as we look at what Mark is is teaching, as you read through Mark. By the way, I challenge you go back, read Mark today, maybe because Mark flows quickly. How many chapters in Mark? Sixteen. Trivia question of the morning. I should have asked a pastor. 16, but it goes fast, doesn't it? Mark just flows really fast. Why? Because Mark is the book of action. It's the gospel of action. It's really Peter's message of the life, teaching, and work of Christ. And Peter gave it to, to, uh, to uh, Mark, probably in Rome, and Romans were known for action. So about 40 times, 34, I think, the word euthus is, is used in the book of Matthew. immediately, immediately. Jesus is the king, yes, but he's like a he's he's a man the Romans would look up to, a man of action who was immediately at work, who was constantly doing things. And so when you get to the triumphal entry today in Mark, uh, Mark all of a sudden, well, there Jesus is, and he's presenting himself as the king who has come uh, in the name of the Lord. And this really speaks to us. And what what Mark through Peter wants to convey to us, what the Holy Spirit through Mark wants to convey is that Jesus is not only a man of action, he is the very best man. Because Romans were people of action, but they weren't always good. And in Jesus, they would see not only a man of action, but the supreme man who is good and who obeys the God of the universe and who is about doing the work of God. And that's who he is. He's presenting himself as the king. And so in an amazing way, here we see Jesus presenting himself. And and the way he presents himself is he comes over from Bethany and Bethpage. And if you've ever been to Israel, and many of you have, you know that uh, the Mount of Olives to the east of Temple Mount is there. And the cities of Bethpage and, uh, and Bethany are up there. We don't know exactly where they were perfectly, but we have ideas. And so Jesus is up there and he's coming down uh, on, the, on the donkey uh, as he rides to present himself. Now he's always already presented himself as the prophet. His whole ministry has been the ministry of teaching. So that in, in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of the Hebrews would say, God has presented himself in many portions, in many ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us. Who? How? In his son. Jesus is the last prophet par excellence. And so if anybody shows up at your home and says, I want to tell you about a later day prophet. Let's talk about that. You say, oh, I don't need one. I've got him. His name is Jesus. Well, then, here he's presenting himself as the king in the royal bloodline of David, fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophecies. But his main priestly work is yet to come, isn't it? He's prayed for Israel, but his main priestly work of offering himself as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world would come Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. And then the tomb. And so the priestly work is to come, but here he's showing them who he is, but in particular, what kind of a king he is. And that's so important because the kind of king that the Israelites wanted was not the kind of king that Jesus was coming to present himself as at this very moment. And so uh, many of you, again, who've been to Israel, know that the Mount of Olives is about 300 feet higher than temple mount uh the kidron valley runs right there through there. by the way uh we're leading a tour over there next year and uh if some of you know about it and if you want to uh meet afterwards for 5 minutes we're going to talk about it over here our uh, tour guide Felipe Santos is going to be here but we're going to we're going to be there we're going to be at the mount of olives and we're going to walk down the mount of olives across the kidron valley it's not very far and then and then Jesus went up through the east gate uh, into the city and presented himself. Interestingly, there's a historical note that we want to remember at this point from Ezekiel chapter 11, because in Ezekiel 11, there was a prophecy of what would happen. And the prophecy of what would happen to Israel is that what Ezekiel saw was the spirit of God ascending out of the temple and moving east over to a mountain. What mountain was that? The Mount of Olives. It was a prophecy that Israel would be taken into captivity or that Judah would be taken into captivity uh, in 586. And so the Spirit of God is seen as leaving the temple and moving over to the Mount of Olives, moving away from the city in judgment of God's people. But then 70 years later, what happened? They returned and, and and we see the spirit of God, in a sense, coming back to the temple. Well, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, what we have here in a very real sense is, is the supreme return of God from the Mount of Olives over to the temple, over to the temple area where we see God return. God, the son, returning to his temple The presentation of himself as the king. In fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. I love this. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. The time is fulfilled, and the king is presenting himself to be the king who would also be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the coming of Jesus, what we see here is incredible fulfillment of prophecy, and I love this because as we think of redemption history, as we think of the unfolding of history from Genesis, we often mention here at Orangewood about about creation and how Creation then led to the fall. The the storyline of the Bible is very clear, very simple. Creation, fall. And then theologians like to talk about the fulfillment in Christ and then the great consummation to come. I think what is often left out is this whole body of teaching called promise. And so in that redemption history, I always like to talk about creation, fall, promise. Because you cannot read the Bible, you cannot read prophecy without seeing the promises that God makes. The Messiah will come and he will, and it's very, very specific. He will ride into Jerusalem. So the body of promise is now fulfilled in Jesus. But that's not the end, is it? Because in the second coming of Christ, we see the consummation where he brings back it's not just bringing back Eden. It's going to be better than Eden. We live in the time of the already, between the already of fulfillment and the not yet of his consummation, where it's going to be worldwide, universe-wide. But here, Palm Sunday, is where we we drive the stake into the ground, and we see fulfillment, the king is coming and to present himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And so the people are yelling, save us now. Hosanna. That's what Hosanna means. Had, you know, and when the kids were all shaking the palm branches and everything, that's great. I love that. And, and they were saying, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. There's, there's a statement, there's a request, but do you, do you sense the people of Israel also a little demanding right here? Save us now. Right now. They, they, see, all these other times when they tried to present Jesus as a king, what did he do? Slipped away. Moved away. Nuh-uh. You're not going to present me as a king because I'm not going to be your typical political king. You want me to get rid of the Romans. And I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to promise that I'm going to do it that way. I'm a king. But I'm not that kind of a king. And so as he presents himself, the people of Israel are saying, save us now, right now. This is what we want. We want you to set us free. We're tired of their taxes. We're tired of their pagan symbols coming into our temple court area. We're tired of them. Get them out of here. Save us now. Save us now in the way we want you to save us. Jesus is the, des- he's the king, but he's not the desired king, not the kind of king they wanted. And you know, I, as at, on Palm Sunday, I think often as I get honest with my walk with Christ, I say, yes, you are the king. I declare that you're the king. I know that you're the king. I affirm that you're the king, but sometimes you're not the king I want. Sometimes you don't do things the way I want you to do them. A lot of times you don't do things the way I want you to do them. He is the true king. But he wasn't the desired king. He was—he didn't fit the felt needs of the people. We're going to have a song at the end of the service today. It's a great song. You're going to love it. Uh, it's going to be sung so well. You're going to—you some of you will, might have a charismatic experience as we sing this last song. It's so good. I come early. I get to listen to it. It's great. Uh, but it's the—the uh, the name of the song is "He's Never Going to Let Me Down." You, you've heard that. We've sung it here before. Never. Gonna, you're never going to let me down. And he never will. But a lot of times we, we feel that God does let us down, that Jesus let us down because he's not doing things in the exact way that we want him to. I am so tempted to have us raise our hands. Anybody agreed with me on that? So let's do that. Anybody like, yeah, yeah, I see that hand, I see the hand, thank you. And those of you who didn't put up hands, you lie about it, you know. The reality is, he is the king, but, but there's a lot of times that we don't see him leading and acting in the way that we want him to. Uh, sometimes we want God to be that nice, sweet, grandfatherly figure who does everything that we want him to do, or uh, the one if that we can manipulate, quid pro quo, something for something. Um... Uh, we like to domesticate him. I love what Pat Morley once said. He said, because God is good, my life doesn't turn out the way I want it to, but better. Yeah. Because he's the king and he knows what we need and he knew what the people needed. uh, And uh, and that is so, so powerful. And so uh, I've been reading a book, uh, it's called Coffee with Jesus. It's not up there with the great um, theological handbooks of our time, but it's, it's really interesting. Radio Free Babylon presents Coffee with Jesus, and one of the characters in these cartoons is Anne, and uh, Anne is having a conversation with Jesus. Um, she says, you know that, women, that woman who works with me, the one I've tried so hard to get along with, Jesus? She's having coffee with Jesus. It's a little blasphemous, but you'll have to forgive me. You know that woman who works with me, the one I've, I've tried so hard to get along with? Jesus says yes, and I, I notice that the two of you still have very contentious relationship. <laughs> she says, I'd like to ask you to please bless her health, her finances, her family, and even her stupid cats she talks about all the time. <laughs> Jesus says, wow, Ann you've come a long way from please kill her, Jesus. (laughs) 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 And then Jesus says, I'll get right on this. I love that. And and is learning that Jesus very seldom likes our knee-jerk reaction to life. And he says, I've got a better way because he's the king. And he presents himself as the king Anne is slowly learning that Jesus doesn't always share his view on quite a lot of topics. <laughs> Isn't it great to have a king who is perfect and that you and I can trust? And it's possible somebody's here today on Palm Sunday has never ever uh, found Jesus as, as savior or as a king. He's, he's somebody you can follow. He's somebody that you can trust with your whole life. And we encourage you to follow him. So this text is powerful. It teaches that Jesus is the true king, but not the desired king. Now, the second thing we learn is that Jesus is the true king and the needed king. I like this. Look at these following verses 11 through 19. So after Jesus rides into Jerusalem, we find these words, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, "It is is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So much for gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But here we see Jesus presenting himself as the king and telling them that he really is the, the king that they needed. Uh, there's a difference between felt needs and real needs, right? Uh, felt needs, those things I feel I need. Re- real needs are those things I need. Jesus says, I am the king that you need whether you feel it or not. And in this text, we see uh, something that seems very confusing. In fact, this text seems very confusing to so many people. It's very simple. I just want to unpack it a little bit. Uh, but it's very, very simple. Jesus, you see, Jesus rides, gets off the donkey, the symbol of his nobility. And then what does he do? He walks into the temple area. There's two words for temple. There's the temple proper, and then there's the temple courtyard area. And so this is referring to Jesus sort of walking into that whole area, not into the Holy of Holies. And he walks into that whole area. How does Jesus walk into it? What's the trick question here, Pete? How does he walk into it? He walks into it, not as a spectator, Have you ever been to Temple Mount? When you walk into Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you walk there and you go, whoa. You see the the wailing wall and you see all that. So this is, I've seen this on TV. This is impressive. You come in as a a tourist. You come in as a spectator. But when Jesus walked there and came into the temple area, he he comes walking in as the owner. He comes in as the one that this temple was built for and all about. It was all about him. And he comes into the owner and he looks at what they've done to it. And there were the, the different areas there, the, the, the court of the Gentiles way out here. And, and then the court of the women and, and the court of the men and all the way on up. And, uh, but he comes in and he looks over at this whole thing. And then he looks at the uh, at the fig tree. Let's talk about the fig tree just for a minute. Is that, is that throwing anybody off ever? That Jesus withers the fig tree? It's amazing how this throws people off. I've had people say to me, this is unworthy of Jesus. It's vindictive and unjust. Jesus is attacking an innocent plant. <laughs> Somebody actually said that. This is a misuse of divine power. Bertrand Russell, who was a, uh, one of the, the great, well-known atheistic philosophers whose life was absolutely a mess, uh, said, said this. He said, uh, this is one reason why I simply cannot believe in God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the withering of a fig tree. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's a plant. It's a tree. Now, I understand that I like I like nature plants and all that. I love all that stuff. My friend Lee, who is a tree hugger, says, um, I asked him once, you know, I got crepe myrtles I want to trim. And he goes, don't do it. It's called crepe murder. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going to do it because my wife wants to trim, so I'm going to trim them. And he goes, and so every year he sees me, he goes, did you commit crepe murder? Yeah, did it again. Uh, I... I <laughs> I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Let's jump to the temple. He comes in. What was the problem? The, the problem was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Jews, uh, and then the Holy of Holies. What so infuriated Jesus when he came into the temple and he saw the, the buying and the selling is that in the court of the Gentiles, and by the way, was the temple for Gentiles too? Did they have any role in it? Was it for them in a sense? Was it, Here's a better question. Was Israel at all for the Gentiles in God's original plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Genesis 12. All the nations, Abraham, will be blessed through you. We see it in John 3:16. For God so loved the, the world. See, the temple was to be a place where not only the Jews could gather, but the Gentiles could gather. But what did the Jews do? By this point, they had made the temple, the area of the Gentiles it was the stockyards. That's where they kept all the animals. And so it was no longer a place of prayer and worship. Jesus, the object of worship, comes back and says, this ought to be a place where the triune God, okay, I'm adding in some theology here, where God ought to be worshipped. Instead, we see commerce. And those that ought to be brought closer to God are pushed away from God. And so we see here that he comes as the true king and the needed king because because the reality is the, the Jews' hearts were so bad they didn't care about the Gentiles. Now let's talk about the fig tree. What's the big deal? The fig tree is an acted parable. The fig tree and the cursing of the fig tree is not Jesus being vindictive against a plant. It's the Lord who created the tree using the tree as an image to explain what had happened to Israel. Israel, who should have had a heart committed to God because they were God's specially redeemed people from Israel that he loved deeply. They should have had a a life that was fruitful and productive. But when Jesus sees the fig tree, he says, and the temple He says, well, this is what the people of God have become. Barren, fruitless, unproductive. Their hearts were spiritually dead. And that's why he is the king they needed because only he could deal with their internal issues of heart. So Jesus comes and he condemns them. And he talks about sin. See, there's good news as a Christian, but the bad news has to come first. And the bad news is our hearts are broken. Our hearts are separated from God. Our hearts are barren. And uh, and that's why we need to come to Christ in the first place. But what can happen to us so often, even as Christians, is that we can get quite religious. I'm around Christians all the time. I'm around Christians too much. I like to be around pagans sometimes. Do you? <laughs> Where were you last night? No, I, I like to be around pagans sometimes because it reminds me. It reminds me of what Jesus has saved me from. And the hope that He's given me. And how we are to be here for and how thankful I am. Sometimes I look at my heart and sometimes I have one of those clear moments. And I say, I'm thinking something I really ought not to be thinking right now. I'm like, Anne. Lord Jesus, take her out. Take him out. Kill somebody in your name, please. Change these situations just for me. And there's a voice that says, you need me. When I say, put me first, he says, no. Well, I did put you first. I saved you. You're my boy. I redeemed you. So in Jesus, on this first day when, when, when we see him presenting himself as the king in a powerful way. He's the king we need because he sees our heart like he saw the heart of Israel. And when we feel barren and unproductive, we can come running back to him and we can say, oh, forgive me. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you're the king I really need because I can't fix myself. I can't change my heart. So Jesus, we see here, is the true king, but not the desired king. We see that he's the true king and the needed king. And then I want to just wrap this up by say, looking at how Jesus is the true king and, and a true heart. This is powerful. I love these verses. Verse 20. In explaining the fig tree, uh, he, he and he has to explain the fig tree to the disciples a little bit, uh, he says to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it'll be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. So now here, Jesus is talking directly to his disciples. And and in this kind of an interesting passage, he says, have faith in God. What's what's going on here? Well, what he's saying to the the, the disciples as they hear his condemnation about how the heart of Israel has been unfruitful and barren and hard-hearted and legalistic and all those negative things, he says to the disciples, hey, listen, this doesn't have to be true of you. Have faith in God. This doesn't happen to you. What we see in the temple area of the misuse of all of this, the place of God, the worship of God, this doesn't happen to you. Your hearts do not have to become like Israel. Your hearts, you don't have to be judged like Israel's gonna be judged. And in just a very few years, the temple was destroyed, 70 AD. Rome came in, wiped them out. Further judgment for Israel's disbelief and rejection of Messiah. And, but, but Jesus says, have faith in God. As you struggle with sin, as I struggle with sin, as we struggle with our selfishness, uh, as we struggle with uh, our, our, our greed, our, our, our addictions, our lack of forgiveness, there's a very real sense I wanna ask you, I wanna tell you that what Jesus is saying here, and you're gonna think I'm a heretic, so listen to me closely. Jesus is saying, name it, claim it not financially. You want that? He's not saying you want that two-story house. You want that house at the beach, a condo at the beach. He's not saying name it, claim it, but he's saying have faith in God when it comes to your heart. Because if anything needs to get fixed, it can. You can forgive a spouse who was unfaithful. You can, you can make progress against an addiction. Not everything gets healed in this life. Not everything gets fixed in this life. We still struggle, but He says, "You trust Me; your heart doesn't have to become barren like the like the Israelites." I can do a great work in you. Some of us are just cruising spiritually; we haven't grown in years. And Jesus is saying, "Come on, look in look in your life. Where, where am I? Where am I at work to bring you into the character of My Son?" so that you can be set free. Samuel Jackson, excuse me, Samuel Johnson. Samuel Jackson, the author, this is not that. Samuel Johnson, the old biographer, said this. The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. I like the quote, but it's ridiculous. He's right when he says this that the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. And He's right when he says the first part, that, that what happens is our addictions and our habits sneak up on us, don't they? And before we know it, we're controlled. But, uh, but they're never too, too strong to be broken in Christ. And so this is really a call to remember what Ed Cole said, change is the only, only constant in maturity. The king presents himself. And as Jesus has presented himself as the prophet par excellence, and now the king, he presents himself. He presents himself as the king that sometimes we don't want, but the, the king we absolutely need. And the king who has a true heart, who can make our hearts true. So if you, How do I wrap this up? By simply saying this, if you have never, ever embraced Christ as as king, as the leader of your life, he can be the leader of your life after he becomes the savior of your life. And that's how it works. We come to Christ. We say, I can't be good enough. I trusted you and your work on the cross. We're going to be unpacking that over this coming week much more. Uh, Monday Thursday service is going to be a great time, isn't it? As we talk about the last words of Jesus, as we dive deeply into his work, we invite you to come for that, to be a part of that. But if you've never embraced him, we'd love to talk to you about entering into a saving, eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then finding that he's the king, he's the master that can actually lead your life perfectly. And then I guess for the rest of us, it's an opportunity for us to say, Jesus, you are king. Where do you want to exert your kingship in my life where I haven't seen it? Where do you want to take control? Where do you want to lead me? He will never let you down. But he will lead you in paths that you, didn't, you weren't expecting. And those paths will always set you free. Those paths the king will lead you on will always set you free. You can trust it. You take it to heart. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we celebrate the reality of your kingship, we know that your kingship has always been for our good. We thank you, God, that you love us far more than we even know. And I pray that as we go now out of this time into a time of of celebration as a church family and enjoyment of being together as your people, That as we experience the love of one another, we would know that it comes from you. So Lord Jesus, lead us, set us free as we rest in your leadership, in your kingship, and we give you praise in your holy name. Amen.